Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Leave Your Mark. And today I'm talking to Todd Durkin, who is an internationally recognized strength, speed, and conditioning coach, personal trainer, body worker, motivational speaker, and author who motivates, educates, and inspires people worldwide. He is the founder of Fitness Quest 10 in San Diego, California, named one of America's top 10 gyms by Men's Health. Todd works with a high-profile clientele of elite professional athletes, Olympic athletes, and motivated people. His passion is delivering a wow experience to his clients and customers. His fundamental mission is to deliver impact every day and to move people to achieve their goals and dreams. He is an amazing partner with his wife, Melanie, and dedicated father for his three wonderful children. I've invited him to leave your mark today because Todd is the consummate leader by example. He is absolutely intent on leaving a mark on this world and on every single person he touches. He has most certainly left a mark on me. Welcome, Todd Durkin. Todd, I'm going to start by asking you, uh, you grew up in New Jersey uh, and you were a football player and uh, you played uh, football to quite a high level, as I understand. What made you fall in love with uh, football I, I I fell in love with the game I just fell in love with the strategy and the learning and and um, the the toughness of it and the conditioning of it and um, I was like man this is really cool <laughs> so it was really probably at a young age you know before I was a teenager that I really fell in love with it and I didn't know all that it could do I just knew that I loved it you played uh, how many seasons did you play in the end in your career um, well, after college, I ended up playing two more seasons professionally uh, overseas in the World Football League and the European Football League. So it was a little over two seasons. Okay. What did football teach you? Who? Football, man. It, it taught me a lot about life. It is life as, as far as like the, the metaphors for what it teaches you. It teaches you discipline. It teaches you hard work, preparation, Um you know, tenacity, overcoming adversity. I mean, you look at momentum shifts in, in a game, uh, just the momentum shifts of good and bad. Uh, so many metaphors to life that there's highs and lows, there's peaks and valleys. And football uh, is, is just a game that you've got to prepare. You've got to work your butt off. You've got to put yourself around other great teammates, right? And you got to, you know, you're always as strong as your weakest link on your team. And um, for me, it was about conditioning. It was about being a great teammate, being a leader, preparing uh, to be the best, to be a champion. So basically everything I do in my own life now and in my business and in my coaching, it's the same types of uh, lessons that I learned playing football also. What was the most um, difficult lesson you ever learned in football other than and I'm coming to cir circle back to that later about losing the game because of injury. But was there a tough lesson you can recall in, in playing that, that really struck you or strikes you when you look back? Uh, I think the most difficult lesson probably actually came um, from college. Actually, it was, it was more of the most difficult lesson was probably sometimes even when you think, you're the best player. You're not always the one the coach is going to pick initially, right? That's a lesson because mm -hmm. there were times in college when I was really in my career that I thought I should be playing and I wasn't playing and I dreamt of playing. I knew I had the skills to play, but you know, uh, I wasn't chosen as that starter as soon as I wanted to. And, uh, I had done everything right. I'd worked my butt off. Um, 
And that's a huge lesson of like, sometimes you got to be the backup. And, you know, that's not easy because sometimes people look at people think, oh, they got it all together. Life, their, their life was easy. Um, that was a huge lesson for me is, you know, I, I thought I was ready to play at a certain point and a coach thought otherwise for whatever reason. I mean, that's a huge lesson as far as, you know, even when sometimes you think you're the best, someone else doesn't. Right? And I think that's often the, the, the mindset of an athlete is, you know, you're the one. And although I had a, you know, a solid career, you know, all the way up until the end, um, I always strive to be the best. My dream was always to play in the NFL, even though I thought I could play in the NFL. Um, you know, life has its way of taking its twists and turns and you, re- you meet certain coaches that are good and some aren't as good. And I think those are all lessons you learn. Some of the lessons I learned also come from coaches that weren't my favorite coaches. Like I've had a lot of great coaches, a lot of great coaches, but it's funny how the ones I often remember too are from some of the ones, not even just in football, but other sports that were horrible coaches that the way I coach my athletes and the teams I work with now, I would never coach them that way. And, um, those are lessons. Like those are lessons, how I treat my three kids. Those are lessons, how I treat my young athletes. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's some of those times were very tough. Sometimes there were sleepless. I was, I'd be crying and, you know, going to sleep thinking, man, like I, I, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I want this so bad, but someone didn't see it the exact same way. So I think, you know, that's something that is real, right? These are real things that maybe some people don't know about me. Oh, yeah, yeah. He just played through college and was a team captain and eventually went overseas to play. Like, yeah, those are all things that, you know, people may see now, but that's not really how it was when I was going through it. There were, there were lots of even months and years that I was like down, like, man, like they don't believe in me as much as I believe in them. I'm going to show them. I want to show them what I'm made of or what I'm capable of. And I want the opportunity to show that. Now I think a lesson is also don't ever give up because there were times in, even in my college career when I wanted to quit because man, like I'm putting all this time in, I'm putting all this effort in and I'm not getting the time I, I, I want to play um, on that stuff. So again, you're like, well, wait a second, Taya, you, you know, you played quarterback. You know, I played, I went to William and Mary, you played quarterback there and this and that. Yeah. But listen, there were years when I was like, man, I should have been playing more. I should have been starting. I should have been doing this. And, and, you know, you start playing that stupid uh, blame game or comparison game of, man, look at the quarterback over that and that team, I'm better than that person. And that's, that's not good to, you know, play someone else's game and, and to start comparing your insides to someone else's outsides. I think that's a really important lesson that I learned is man, just fortify yourself and be the best that you can. And life's going to happen to you. And it's how you react to that. That's a really important thing. So I could probably write a book on the lessons learned on all the good and all the bad. And maybe I should. Maybe you should. Uh, <laughs> but what, what do you think differentiates the guy who gives up in those circumstances and the guy like you who forges through? What, what do you think? Is there one thing that you can put your finger on or do you think it's a multiple? Um, I, I think there's a, a, a multiple things that would, would attribute. I would attribute that to number one would be faith. Um, and praying about things throughout life, not just in, <laughs> in good times and bad, but why is it we always like in bad times or tough times, challenging times, we seem to be praying more when things aren't going good. We're like, man, what's going on? But for me, faith's so important. Um, having mentors in my life and talking to them literally was a game saver. Uh, because when I would talk to my mentors, my father, my high school football coach, you know, and, and, and tell them what's going on, um, they would be sometimes the one that would keep it, keep it going for me and keep believing in me because 
Why is it that sometimes someone else believing in you more than sometimes you believe in yourself gives you the belief that you need to keep going? I don't know if you've ever been there, but like, you know, I, 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 although I have a lot of belief in myself, sometimes at my like toughest times, when you start to waver in your confidence or like, can I do this? Someone's word that reminds you of who you are can be really, really powerful and even game changing. And looking back, there were several moments in my life where, you know, I look back and said, man, should I continue? Should I transfer to another school? Um, should I keep going with what I'm doing in, in business or in football? Um, Who was somebody that? in your, in your um, football career that really made that kind of impact on you, as you recall back? Well, certainly my father, uh, my father made a huge impact in me and always given me the words. He taught me what a mentor was. He taught me what a man um, and a coach uh, could be. And, you know, all the way growing up from the time I was five, I had so many coaches in my life um, in soccer, basketball, baseball and football. Um, but my, my, my father was my biggest cheerleader. He was my biggest fan. He was my biggest, you know, f- best friend and all of these things. And um we all need that. And it doesn't matter if you're five or you're 45 or you're 65, we all need that in our life. We've got to put ourselves around people that allow us to continue to thrive and excel. But for me, it was my father and my, my, my high school football coach, um, who would sometimes, you know, be tough on me and be challenging on me, but also know when to rein it in and to, to lift, you know, one up. And I think great coaches do that. Great coaches, um, you know, great coaches are going to, Oh, they're athletes, things that they need to hear, not that they want to hear. And Coach Wolf would do that for me. He knew when to push my buttons in certain ways so he'd get the most out of me. That's what great coaches do. That's what I do now with my athletes, my clients, with the people, I mean, other trainers and coaches that I'm leading is how do you prompt people to get outside their comfort zone and do things? I remember, you know, Coach Wolf, <laughs> this is a different era now. Um, <laughs> different era. I remember I was uh, – I was a, I believe it was a freshman. I was starting varsity and I still remember this vividly. We were playing and I think he only yelled at me like twice in my life where he really got in my face fast and almost like grabbed my face. Like you could do it back then. He'd be like, again, you're playing too robotic. You're playing too robotic. Loosen up and play. You know what? I still remember that. I still remember that. Why? Because sometimes we get so in our heads about being robotic that we don't ever just kind of feel the rhythm of the game. We don't just flow in, in something. And I don't care if it's football, if it's hockey, if it's business, you got to have a rhythm. You got to get some mojo going. And I still remember that. I hear those, I hear those whispers in my head. And even now, like you gotta, you gotta flow, you gotta flow, Durkin. And so it's, it, it's funny how coaches leave such a lasting impact on us. Uh, but coach Wolf did that. That's awesome. That's a, I've heard you speak about him before. He's obviously had a real impact on you in your life. That's Really cool. I want to read something to you and then we'll circle back again. I sent it to you uh, over a year ago, but uh, you're an Aries three. And uh, I had a book that I encountered a while back. I won't tell the whole story, but it had a lot of impact on me because I had a personal life statement, which was some men see things as they are and say why I dream things that never were and say why not. And I'd found this thing and it linked me to a book and it, it was just a phenomenal um, episode in my life. So I've taken this book and I sent it to you, but uh, it's a little combination between uh, uh, astrology and numerology. 
It says your purpose is to take your place as a leader, anxious to enlarge your influence by convincing others that your philosophy is the one to be followed. You need an impossible task to conquer. This will test your beliefs and make them stronger. Here, the ego surrenders to the spirit. The earthly desires of Aries 3 are diminished in the face of a greater need. The Aries 3 must look out for the lure of the impossible. They're suckers for trying to move a stone no one else can. If they can endure the early discipline, they'll become souls with the courage to stand up against the world and speak out for their version of the truth. And it's funny, when I read this back Mm. and I sent it to you, I was like, Mm. the book keeps smacking me in the face because every time I do it and I do, this is one of my things that I want to do on the podcast with each guest is it's phenomenal how often it really hits the mark on leaving your mark with somebody. So uh, when you read, when you heard that, what did it, what did it say to you? Did it sound like you? Yeah, it's like, he knows me. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's going to leave. I I love that, like leaving your mark, because, you know, that's something that I continually remind myself daily about legacy and leaving your mark is, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the minutia uh, on the day-to-day things that we have to do or need to do. And there's no doubt we need to spend time in the weeds uh, doing things sometimes we don't want to do. But leaving your mark and legacy are things that uh, we go deep inside our spirit, inside our soul of like, how am I going to be my best today? What can I do? One or two things that are really, truly going to impact someone today, or as you would say, leave your mark on someone today. And I think that's the space, that's the rarefied air that all of us need to spend more time in is reminding and whether we're journaling it, whether we're writing it down every single day, not once a year. It's not just in the annual roadmap. It's not just, you know, every 90 days in the 90 day wonder, but it's every day when you're journaling and you're sharing gratitude and you're writing down your daily goals, reminding yourself of why you do and, you know, why you do and who you're impacting. Like those are the, the practices that I use to remind myself of uh, what I need to spend my time doing every day, because that's the one thing that we have limited of is time, energy, and even resources sometimes. So how are you going to spend your time? How are you going to invest your energy? And what are you going to invest your time and energy doing? So these are all things that I think help ultimately you create the legacy that you want and leave the mark that you desire. You are a, um, phenomenon of high energy that I've uh, I'm really have ever since I met you the first time I've always been impressed by that it's a different style of me than me as a co- coach but a phenomenal style and I'm wondering have you always had that energy is that something that's innate to you or is that something that you've uh, uh, has been created in you over time it's just who you are I, I, I truly believe it's who I am because I'm the youngest of eight kids. I had to be loud. I wouldn't eat. You had to so, fight uh, for every morsel yeah, of food. No, I, I kind of think it was always in me. Um, I think certainly through time um, and years of just kind of like creating who I am and working on myself as I've deepened my own purpose, it just kind of flourishes Right. And I think people always say, oh, you are you always this high energy? The answer is no, by the way, I'm not always this way. I think for me, when I look at it is I've got to spend a lot of time inside really nourishing that spirit so that when I coach or when I'm doing talks and things like that, that I can really just be who I want to be and who I really am. Um, but I think I've always been a high energy guy. And and, uh, you know, that's just it's who I am. And I've always been authentic and and uh, in what I do and how I do it. 
It's a huge strength for you, but you know everybody's strengths, as we as the the famous uh, Achilles' heel uh, story uh, goes. What when does it sort of um, make things difficult on you that you that <laughs> you are that person? It makes it difficult when I have a long day of coaching athletes and I go home and I've got nothing in the tank. <laughs> That's what makes me my week. Where's God, Dad's energy? What happened to it? Dad, I thought you were like in firing the world up, but uh, no, I mean. You know, honestly, I've got three kids and a great wife of, you know, 17 years. And um, it, it, the hardest thing I do is balancing out the hat between, you know, husband, father, and then coach and inspirer, uh, you know, to other fitness professionals and people, you know, clients and athletes. Um, so if I've got a long day, 12, 14, 15 hour day at the gym, training people and I want to go write a book or I want to uh, work on a, a message I'm crafting up for a new keynote. Well, sometimes that's a seven day a week job. And that sometimes leaves me a little bit empty in the tank. And that's why I'm a huge believer in making sure you build, literally build the mellow yellow time into your schedule. Because I have been privy to the fact that if I just keep going and going and going, I do feel drained and I don't have the energy that I want. And yeah, sometimes you got to fake it till you feel, but I don't like faking it. I like being real, organic, authentic energy. So I guess where the biggest, the biggest time would show up is if I've given my all and everything else and I go home and I'm shot, um, you know, in the, in the evening time, uh, for dinner or on the weekends and I'm just like face planted down watching a football game, <laughs> then I might, uh, feel that. So it's the constant balance of energy. You mentioned, um, uh... Melanie, when um, when you when did you know she was the one the the person that was going to be your the yin to your yang, so to speak? Mm-hmm. You know, blessed because um, Melanie and my relationship started in graduate school. So uh, I was a poor graduate student, literally, uh, <laughs> who really wasn't clear on where I was going. I just love people. I love strength and conditioning. I love athlete performance. I was doing massage therapy and body work. I had a lot of passions and desires, but I really didn't have a clear strategy of, you know, if I was going to go into full-time teaching at a community college, which I was offered a job uh, teaching, um, if I was going to open up my own business. So it really started, uh, our relationship started um, in just dreaming together. And we were friends for many, many months. And then, um, you know, we developed our relationship and uh, after a couple of years and her nudging me saying, hey, when are we going to take this to the next level? I realized, you know what? I truly am blessed to have a woman uh, like Melanie who understands uh, the needs within this field because she's a professor in exercise science at a college. She understands the demands of parenting and trying to be everything to everyone sometimes as well. Um, so it was probably, I'd say, three years into our relationship that I knew like, man, she is the one and she is, she's my rock. And she's the, you know, she's just kind of like, like, as you said, my yin to my yang. And that's a great way to saying it because she is my yin to my yang. (laughs) (laughs) What's her greatest strength in balancing you? She's my biggest cheerleader. Uh, She believes in me. um, And she's a great mother. She's a great wife and she's a great um, friend that, she can talk shop with me if I want to talk shop, um, but she always balances me out. And she tells me if I'm doing too much work, if I'm not being a good enough father to our kids, um, if I'm traveling too much and not present in conversation. She's very, very aware. 
And um, how does that hit you when she does that? Is that hard on you? The dose of reality. I, I, <laughs> dose I, of Durkin. I, 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 it's the other dose of Durkin. I fight it when she tells me that. I, I just want to, you know, be my stubborn self and say, no, I'm not. But deep down, I know she's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And um, she'll call me when, 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 I'm, when I'm being that way. And I'm, I, I will typically defy her in the beginning, like most spouses probably do. And then, um, and then I come to my senses because, you know, spouses often they have a sense that they know you better than sometimes you know yourself and they, they know where your energy is at. Um, so she is my biggest fan, my biggest supporter. Um, she can often, you know, tell me things before I even say them, but she also understands, um, you know, when I'm overextending myself because I have a tendency to overextend uh, myself and I don't like saying no to people. I don't like turning things down and she'll remind me of, you know, making sure that I do have my priorities straight. And then the best thing, about Melanie, you know, to answer your question, uh, honestly, is, is what first attracted me to her was her smile. Her wow. smile is mm, it's gorgeous. Tell gorgeous. me, how did you ask her to marry you? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> Great question. Um, you know, I, when I asked her to marry me, I, uh, I, I brought someone into our relationship that was extremely special, my dog, Sid. Um, we had a golden retriever at the time that I gave her a golden retriever before a ring. <laughs> and, um, our, our, our dog was kind of our first born child. And, um, what we did, we went out to dinner and while I was out to dinner at this nice restaurant, uh, called the Prado here in San Diego is, uh, I had a friend of ours arrange to put the ring around Sid's neck and come into the restaurant. And that's how I did it. We were sitting at a table and all of a sudden this golden retriever came up to the table. She's like, dude, that looks like Sid. I'm like, it sure does, doesn't it? I'm like, oh my gosh, it is Sid. Sid comes up to the table, sits down. I'm like, what is he doing here? And what's around his neck? Right? And Sid had this beautiful <laughs> ring around his neck and, and uh, that was the rest of history. That was it. I got down on my knee. And, yeah, I was going to say, did you get down on the knee? There you go. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and uh, you know, her, her, her two guys, uh, Sid and, and myself, uh, you know, got down and, and he was already on his paws and I was on a knee and uh, just gave her my love. And I think, you know, even when you, when you say someone's vows, I think it's really easy because – even now in mentoring, even other young couples, um, sometimes I think 17 years is nothing. But then again, I hear sometimes it like 17 years is, is an attorney in today's day with some relationships is, you know, when, when you say exchange vows with someone, you say in sickness and health and good times and bad, it's really easy to be good when things are good. And, you know, when things are flowing or money's good or this or that, but there's going to be times when it's not good, when something happens to your family or someone that you're close with or business isn't good. Um, those are the times when the glue is really important. And for us, one of the things I think is really important is that we share a common bond with our faith. And, um, I still remember even at our wedding, um, the the priest who married us talking about how, you know, in a relationship, you've got this triangle and both you and your spouse are at the bottom of the triangle. And that triangle leads up to the top and that top is God. And if you don't have the triangle right and you invert the triangle, 
it's going to be wrong. And when you have a tough time, you're, you're going to have a tougher time getting through the challenging times, the adversity, than if that triangle is set right. And I still remember that. I still remember that, that, um, that talk is because there are going to be tough times in life. There's going to be times when we face adversity. No one likes that. But, uh, man, I am very, very blessed to have uh, a wife like Melanie who we share similar values and faith and uh, we support each other. And, you know, it's never easy. Those of you that have kids listening in today understand that, know that. Um, it's not even easy without kids. But when you have kids, there's a whole other dimension that comes into fact. So I think core values, faith, all of these are, are factors that are important in having a, a relationship that flourishes as well. Did you always uh, want to have children from when you uh, first connected? I, I used to want eight kids. <laughs> <laughs> and that soon changed. Uh, because, you know, growing up in a, in a large family, I grew up in a, a large Catholic family back in New Jersey. I always wanted a ton of kids because I loved it. I was the youngest of eight kids and I have five sisters. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. <laughs> well, number one, I don't know how my mom did it. Um, because we, you know, I come from a single, single family where my parents were divorced and I was young and, you know, my dad was gone for several years and like, she raised a lot of us and, you know, even just financially, I wonder how did she do it nowadays? I, I don't know how, you know, one would do it with eight kids, um, on that, but you know, it gives you a different perspective perspective right. of your mom yeah. now i guess say when you oh i call her saint mary she's still living she's 80 83 years young and and um man it, it, it's crazy but you know, i got the one kid then two and at three i'm like we're stopping there's no way we're gonna have the eight kids what's the greatest strength you look up to in your mom from from what you were as a boy and then now when you look back love love you know I, I wrote about my mom in, in my wow book uh, one of the chapters is all about her and why because you know my mom uh when you look at unconditional love truly unconditional love my mom epitomizes that she's non-judgmental she doesn't judge anybody she talks to anybody and um yeah, even growing up um i always felt such love so um you know i think a lot of my empathy and my compassion for people comes from my mom, my drive and, and that and energy and, and that comes from my father, but compassion and empathy and love, that's all from my mom. Who was the hardest sibling on you growing up? Ooh, interesting question. Hardest sibling growing up. They all in their own right. <laughs> Right? Like, <laughs> different moments probably oh you know, my my my, my um, second oldest brother Paul was a marine and I, I looked up to him as my hero growing up because he used to when he was in the Marine Corps he'd send me on you know letters and emails didn't exist you know, in the 1980s uh, but he would write me letters of like workouts I'd say what's a workout he'd tell you say okay do you know 50 push-ups 50 by weight squats and go for a three-mile run and here I am 12 years old doing everything the marine said and I loved him so much and he believed in me and he you know he was awesome. My oldest sister, Patty, was um, one of, and is one of my mentors. She told me and taught me to trust my gut at a young age. And that was really, really sound wisdom when I was going through college about trying to change majors from government to business and then eventually into kinesiology. Um, and then, of course, my, my si sibling that's closest in age to me, my sister, Karen, you know, she was hard on me because we used to have races from the bus stop home and she'd beat me and it ticked me off that 
that my sister would beat me in a, in a race and she was darn fast. So I didn't, I didn't like losing to my sister and she would rub it in. Like she'd rub it in that she was fast than me. She was a better athlete than me. And she probably was <laughs> my butt and things. So, uh, you know, I, I was so blessed. I mean, you know, I think the biggest thing with eight kids in a family, a large family, there was just a lot of love and everyone's got their own journey. Everyone's got their own, you know, walks going on. But the one thing from my oldest sibling, Stephen, down to my, my uh, sibling closest to me in age, Karen, um, you know, there's just love there. And when there's blood there, you go, you, you do anything for, for your family. And, you know, they live all over the country now, but uh, it's always great when we can get together in any way. Christmas must have been craziness. At your oh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, I, I tell my kids now they have no idea because, you know, growing up in New Jersey when it's cold and snowing, it, it would sometimes seem like the entire living room was full of gifts. And uh, I, I know that really wasn't the case. But when you're when you're looking at Christmas in the eyes of a seven year old or, or 10 year old um, and and you know, the believing in Santa Claus and all the great things that, that Christmas represents and, and that magical, magical, and that still magic still exists, obviously. Um, but is that a big, a big time of year for you with the, your, your family now? Oh, absolutely. It's certainly one of the, the highlights of the year is, <laughs> is, uh, is Christmas. And, you know, I, I think one of the things I try to teach my kids now is always the reason for the season, right? It's not about the gifts. So there's some things we do from a, from more of a, um, uh, a ritualistic type thing now that represent more of, of the reason for the season and keeping the faith in, in Christmas time. Because I think, and now it's a little different era. I think a lot of times young folks, it's all about what you're receiving for Christmas versus what you're giving. And, um, in, in today's day, it's a little different because I think, um, all of us adults as well as kids, you know, there's a lot of people that are hurting out there and how, not just Christmas time, but specifically during that season, how can we just give back more and how can we serve more and how can we do things that are really going to make an impact out there? Uh, to me, that's what Christmas is all about is, is being in the spirit of the season um, versus just, you know, gifts that are given. And I think it's a very stressful time uh, for folks and, I often ask myself, man, why do we get so stressed out in such a high season? It's because we often feel like we've got to, you know, do so much versus just being in the, in the, uh, in the season. How, how I'm going to sort of pivot on that a little bit. You, um, you know, today I find that, uh, so sociologically we've become so attached to things and getting stuff and attaining things and stuff. And so there's this, you know, this need to find, goals and to achieve, uh, which I think is an important part of our lives, but how do we balance that? How do you balance that, that, that achievement side with, you know, that real true growth and connectivity to the spirit of who you are? And I know faith is a huge part of that for you, but, uh, you know, just, just tell the listeners how you connect to, to what's really, what really matters. Yeah. And, you know, that's it. That's an ongoing thing because I think all of us growth mindset folks that, that want, that have goals and want to achieve things, you know, I'm no different. I have a lot of goals and I, I, I want to achieve a lot of things in, in life. But I think for me, at least what I try to do is I often ask myself, is this my purpose? Like when I'm going through big decisions, is this like my divine purpose that God wants me to do? Or is this Todd who wants to do it, whether that's ego driven, whether that's success driven, which is okay. 
But to me, ultimately, it's got to be divine. Uh, it's got to be purpose driven on that because, you know, if I've got certain gifts that I've been blessed with, like anyone that's listening in has certain gifts is how do you maximize your gifts? How do you make for me and for anyone listening, how do you make maximum impact in the universe? Like, how do you do that? And if you listen, truly listen and tap into the gifts inside of you and you have the courage to do that, you have the courage and the audacity to share the gifts that you have, then I think then you're along the path um, that you're supposed to be. You know, a lot of people seek success. And I often say, well, that's dangerous because someone might deem you successful. But how can we really seek significance, importance? And, and significance is something that's internal you know, internal meaning you're fulfilled, you're happy, you feel like you are serving a deeper purpose versus success is more on the outside uh, on that. People say you're successful or all of a sudden you're not successful or, or it wanes up and down. Seek significance and not just success. So that's how I kind of look at that is am I being maximally significant as well as successful? Like I want to achieve things, I want to create things, but is that in line with the gifts I've been blessed with? Do you remember a moment in your life when you kind of realized what your purpose was, or has it just been something that's organically happened for you over time? I think it's organically grown. Um, I think when I look at myself growing up, I, I knew I wanted to help people. I wanted to serve people. I felt like, man, I don't know what I'm exactly going to do. Cause you know, you'd write the, you'd write the, on a, on a piece of paper, you'd write down, you know, your list of things that you're going to do and your pluses and minuses. And I remember saying, okay, on, on that, I have, I'd have, you know, chiropractor, doctor, physical therapist, business owner, and all the pluses and minuses of each of those careers. And I don't, I, I don't ever remember saying, okay, I want to do this. Um, but as life kind of chose me and as my career kind of chose me versus me just choosing my career, <laughs> um, I think that, uh, it, it just organically grew. And all of a sudden I was able to, to tap into those gifts and start to serve the people I was supposed to serve. So I think when it looked, when you look at purpose and you look at, um, that it was really more of an organic growth. Becoming, um, an entrepreneur, um, how did that transition? Like, I know sort of how it happened for you, but was it something that, you know, you kind of fell into or it was something that you really feel was, was part of, cause not everybody I think can be an entrepreneur. What do you think of that? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I believe sometimes life throws your curveballs. You don't know what you're going to do with them. And that's how I became an entrepreneur. I don't think everyone has, you know, the, the need or desire to be an entrepreneur. But for me, it actually started from the depths of despair. I mean, literally, because the reason why my career lasted about two and a half years playing football overseas was because I suffered a devastating back injury. And, you know, three herniated discs, spinal stenosis, degenerative back disease left me motionless on a football field in France. And for several years, I was down and out trying to heal my own back pain, having no idea where I was going. Um, because my dream from the time I was five uh, was to play football and, and play sports and use that as a, a tool of living. And even though I had an education and certifications and all that stuff, um, those were all backup plans so that if football didn't work out. Well, what I didn't realize was when I had my back injury and starting to learn from different gurus in the healing world and training and conditioning was over this time, all that I was trying to do 
was to heal myself, yet I was learning all these lessons that eventually would uh, pivot into my eventual career. So, you know, in year 2000, when I ultimately decided to open my own business, I was scared as heck. I had no clients, no money, no business plan. And I really relied on my passion. I relied on um, just the the energy I had to help people's lives. So it wasn't a sophisticated plan or strategy that I had ever thought about for years. And it was finally like I'm signing on the dotted line. It was like, hey, let me give this a shot and see if it works out. What happened in that once I opened that up is I started over a period of you know months and years of enjoying the process of impacting people's lives. Now, you know, in working 10 plus years in actual deep personal growth and development type activities and exercises, I was able to ultimately go deeper on my own purpose and working on myself. I was able to go deeper on myself, which was able to help me with all the people that I coach and train both as athletes and other trainers and coaches. And it's all been part of the process and in my constant evolution. And by the way, I look at life as chapters. Who I am today is not who I'm going to be next year. And what I'm doing today is probably not what I'm going to be doing exactly in five years from now. Mm-hmm. Like I look at that as chapters and anyone out there listening today, like maybe you're really happy, fantastic. Like me, I love, I love it. But by the way, life is going to continue to unfold. And, you know, for me, God may call me to do different things to impact people. I know my mission. I know my why. I know my purpose. It's to impact millions of people, the greatness. I know that I'm designed to motivate and inspire people. That's what makes me tick motivate, inspire, motivate, inspire. And right now I do that through fitness quest 10. I do that through speaking and writing all of those things. But what if God has a different plan for me to do it in different ways? Then it's my, it's my responsibility to listen into that and to follow that. That's where the hard part comes in because I often say you've got to give up good to get to great. So how do you give up good to get to great? Because good, Hey, I'm, everything is good. It's comfortable, but that's not what we're, we're called to do here on earth sometimes just to be good. It's, you know, how do we ultimately serve our deepest purpose so that we can impact people to deep levels? You're a great coach. Um, you coach a lot of fine athletes. Uh, when you watch them going through their own personal struggles, and then uh, I'm curious on two angles. One is how you can counsel those guys going through difficult times. And then number two is, and I, for my own uh, benefit as a coach, um, you know, when you look at what you just said about those 10 years and losing that opportunity, that happens to those guys all the time as well. And they don't often think about, you know, what's what the afterlife. And do you do you talk about that with your guys or, or do you just leave that 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 animal be? Right. Sometimes I feel like I do my best work when there's adversity in someone's life. I don't know what it is, but like when something's going on, I feel like I can truly serve someone at their best and my best. Mm -hmm. And I think because when, you know, I've been there before and when I'm working with an athlete now or a client now or a trainer or a business owner now, and they're going through adversity, um, we all need other people around us that can boost us up and maybe provide a strategy, maybe give us words that we need to hear um, at a certain time. But For me now, not that I ever like when someone's going through a tough time, but when a tough time strikes, I often feel like I do my best work um, in mentoring and channeling and going deeper myself in just prayer and intentionality and, and, and really focusing in on what's important and 
eliminating some of the extraneous things that sometimes hold us back from being our best selves. So, um, yeah, sure. I, I, I actually face that a lot. And, you know, some of my athletes are, are facing the end of their careers and, mm-hmm. and you know, next steps. And so many times if someone's been playing for 20 plus years in their life, 30 plus years of their life, that becomes their life. And I, you know, I'm, I'm often as their coach remind them that, you know, this is another chapter of your life and the best is yet to come. You've got a purpose that supersedes this sport or whatever, you know, whatever it is that they do. Um, and I think that's for anyone, like what we are doing today may not be what we're doing tomorrow. And whether you choose change or change chooses you, you're not necessarily, you know, necessarily having to do the things uh, next month or next year that you're doing today. And I think that's okay. I think that's growth. That's evolution. And that's accepting that is you don't have to stay the same. We want to constantly be growing. And I think that's something that I've even found out from athletes that have retired is that time right after they retire is sometimes very, very challenging and difficult because they don't know what it's like to seek the next step, the next chapter and going deep and, and that uncomfortable feeling of, you know, what is next? Right. So it takes a lot of soul searching. Who's, who's an athlete and maybe a story about it that really taught you something that you didn't know about yourself or through what they, what they did, um, helped you overcome something that maybe you, you were struggling with. Um, I would say, uh, one of the athletes that I, that I've had that has been, I would just, who comes to mind is a guy named Justin Peel, Justin Peel. Now, most people don't know Justin Peel because he was a tight end in the NFL for about nine years. And I trained him for about seven of those years. And he trained with Ladanian Tomlinson, Drew Brees, and he was always in that group, but never got the, the fanfare because he was a tight end. And, um, he was a hardworking guy at the university of Oregon. And, um, I remember him when he was retiring, uh, he was in that, 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 you know, phrase, he always said retiring was not going to be a problem. And since he retired, it was a major challenge for him. (laughs) Um, And I remember him coming to the gym and saying, okay, I'm going to train like a normal guy now, but he didn't, he, he couldn't train like a normal guy because he was really searching um, for what his next step was. And um, I said, you know, you got to find a deeper purpose. You know, how do you find a bigger yes? What's next? versus what you were already doing. So, you know, to his credit, what he did is he went up and he uh, volunteered his time coaching with Chip Kelly when he was at the University of Oregon. Well, that led into eventually Chip Kelly being named the uh, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, which he took Justin Peel because Justin volunteered his time uh, up there for a few weeks. Next thing you know, Justin Peel made his dent uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. When Chip Kelly got fired, Justin Peel stayed on with the Eagles. Justin Peel just got his first Super Bowl ring last season with the Philadelphia Eagles. It was his first Super Bowl ring. He never attained a Super Bowl ring uh, when he was a player, but he got one as a coach. And, you know, you think about coming full circle. Here's a guy that when he was done with his career, uh, a great career, on that. Um, now he got his first Super Bowl ring as a coach and his, his life as a coach is probably going to be a lot longer as a coach than it was as a player. So we never know what's around the corner. And sometimes you got to struggle a little bit and, and challenge yourself and then go volunteer your time and doing something that you think you might love to do. And next thing you know, you, you connect and network with the right people and you find yourself an opportunity. You create that and then great things happen. So Justin Peel would be an example uh, mm-hmm. to me of, of a guy that I I worked with very closely and I'm really proud of just what he's doing. 
I had this conversation with a, a younger practitioner that I work with who started working with some Olympic athletes and he wanted to sit down and chat about, you know, how did I feel about some of the athletes that I was training and when they won Olympic gold medals and things. And I actually found it quite interesting. It was hard to actually reflect on it for me because I've actually had, I would say, more reward in my life um, from some of the struggling uh, projects that I've worked on where they didn't actually work out than the ones that actually won something, you know, or, or won the big, the big prize. Uh, how does that resonate with you? Or, you know, when your guys, when a guy wins a MVP or a Super Bowl or something, you know, obviously there's, there's an, there's a great feeling in that, but, uh, you know, you just talked about something that was maybe not as, uh, yeah. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Sort of thing. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's a great question, Scott, because, you know, so many people will say, Hey, you know, how's your guy drew doing or, or this and that. And these guys, you know, I love all my athletes I work with and I cherish my relationships with them. Um, and obviously it's really special when you have someone win a Super Bowl. Um, we had a couple of guys win, win a Super Bowl, uh, this past season with the Eagles, not only Justin Peel, but a couple of the athletes that I work with, uh, Darren Sproles and Zachers win Super Bowls this past season. But interesting enough, like, I just had a couple guys that got drafted and one guy went in the first round, but the ones that like really tug on my, my, my bootstraps and my heartstrings are the ones that you don't know. Like this, you know, guy, Danny Etling, who's a quarterback out of LSU, low draft pick is going to the new England Patriots. Another guy, Luis Perez guy I've worked with for several years, undrafted, undrafted quarterback from a division two school this time with the Los Angeles Rams. Now here's a guy who didn't even play high school football. He didn't play high school football. Decided he's going to play football in college. So he went to a community college, didn't start there. And next thing you know, he's going to division two school. He won the division two Heisman trophy, um, the Heisman trophy this past season and just got picked up by the Los Angeles Rams. Those are really special stories to me because like he wasn't highly touted. He's got a special story. Who knows if he's going to make it or not at the highest level, but it's that again, it's the work ethic, the tenacity, the mindset, the overcoming adversity. Um, those are the things to me that I really resonate with and uh, what make it such a special story. What, uh, what gives you your biggest energy? What, what's the energy um, battery charger for you? Several things I would say fuel my my battery, my energy. Number one is uh, faith, no doubt, is like my biggest, biggest fuel for my batteries. If my faith, if I'm not getting my time in for my own spiritual inner self, then my energy is not going to be where I need to. Because why? Is because when a hurricane hits, or I should say when a hurricane hits, then I, I'm not prepared for the hurricane because I'm not balanced and centered and I can't channel my energy the way I need to. So I've got to make sure that I have my own walk in line and, and that stuff. So that's number one. And then number two, I would just say, honestly, is just mellow yellow time, time off, time off fuels me because when I get out in nature when I get in the mountains when I get out I do skiing or go on a hike then my mind gets right and I think big when I think big I come up like I'm I'm on fire like I'm gonna be like oh no he's going away again and I come back because I'm like 
on fire of all of the things that I would like to achieve because I've gotten out in nature, I've connected, um, you know, with my deepest self and I come back and, and that's, I'm a huge believer in retreat, you know, retreat yourself, you know, attend uh, retreats, get into mentorships and, you know, that, because to me, it's, I try to really uh, live that myself. That's when I do my best work is when I'm working on myself or working on my business. I come back and I can execute the strategy that I've created on that stuff. So I'd say faith and then, you know, mellow yellow time is a, is a huge aspect. Everybody at uh, fitness quest 10 has a helmet on when you get back from vacation. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Watch out. He's back. <laughs> Buckle up. And, you know, here's the other thing too, is because I think sometimes, you know, you say inspirations in the heart and motivations in the head energy. It's an everyday thing, right? And it starts with the basics that you even teach Scott and that you're such a great coach at it's little things like sleep and nutrition. Like if I'm not dialed into my own personal routine, then I'm not going to be any good for anyone. My family, um, my clients, myself, like, so my own personal routine is a really important aspect to fuel myself up. If I'm not getting my own workouts in, if I'm not getting body work, if I'm not doing all the little things that I should be doing to be world-class, just like I would do with one of my athletes, then I'm not any good. So uh, you know, uh, a gentle nudge for anyone out there that needs to just tweak their own personal routine is don't ever beat yourself up for um, taking care of yourself because personal care is mandatory if you want world-class performance. Cool. What, uh, what changed in you when you became a dad? Hmm. Just, just deeper purpose. Just when you when you realize that you are now living for someone else and it's not just about you, that change, like all of a sudden when Luke was born, um, it just was a deeper purpose. And I my mission became deeper. And that was 15 years ago uh, when we had our first son. And it was, you know, been 15 years of it's it's no longer just about, you know, what my purpose is, is about what the legacy of you know, our name is going to be, and my name is going to be, but, uh, man, kids change your purpose. They deepen your purpose. And they're all three of them different. eh? Oh yeah. (laughs) They're all different and they're all, they're all special in their own way. Right? Like they all have the same mom and dad. Um, but they're just different and all, all are beautiful in their own right and have different gifts. And I think as a father, um, and a mentor to them, you know, the father, you want to support those gifts. And that's one thing I constantly remind myself is like, I don't ever want my story to be their story, right? Like they, they have to create their own life and um, they're, they're their own beings. And I want to shower them with as much love and praise and confidence as possible. And um, I think that's an important thing is because sometimes I think kids, you know, they, they, they are, predicated that they have to be what their mom or dad was uh or they feel that is like listen if they if that ends up being the case then great but like i don't want my story to be their story i believe that everyone's got their own unique story and it's it's their job to to craft up their own story and i want to support that what scares you what scares me that's a good question um what scares me I think what scares me is, you know, it's that quote of, uh, you know, the Marianne Williamson or Eleanor Roosevelt, like what scares you is the, is the, is the strength inside of you. The light inside of you is, you know, as if I dream about all the things that I want to do, that scares me. 
Mm. because it means that I would need to let some things go. Right. So to, in order for me to live my deepest, deepest purpose, I can't be everything to everyone. So what scares me is how do I really deeply live my deepest purpose? And as I soul search for that, you know, what has to go and what can I invest as much time as I want to in? When I say let it go, it doesn't mean I always have to completely let go. Maybe it does. But like, how do I reallocate time so that I can impact millions of people to greatness, right? Because if I'm doing my schedule, it's like I can only travel so much. I can only write so much when any of us are only, only uh, have so much time. But I think what scares me the most is, man, what's on the other side? That's scary in a good way. Like it's scary of fear. Like you can let fear rob you, but it's scary in the sense of, man, this is going to take some, some, some shifting and changing and evolving. And that's why I often say that good is often the enemy. Like it's often harder to get out of success traps and failure traps. If you're successful, it's not easy to, to continue to evolve. It's like, I tell my athletes that those that are at the very, very top is what, what motivates you? Cause once you're at the top, it's a lot harder staying on top than mm-hmm. to get to the top. When you're climbing, it's the climb. Well, how do you keep climbing? How do you stay hungry? Like it's like you're there at the top. Like what's the next goal? And that's that's what I'm constantly asking myself is what is my divine purpose? Not my ego say that I want. What is what am I supposed to do as I tap into those whispers, not the shouts, the whispers of like, hey, this is what I want you to do. This is how you're going to best serve people to, to make maximum impact. That's why if I ever share something on Facebook or Instagram or a social media post or write a blog or an email, I often say to myself, could this post change someone's life? Could it? And when I see an email come back from someone that listens to this podcast, Scott, or listens or, or reads an email I write and, you know, it changed our life, then I know I'm serving my best purpose. Awesome. I uh, am not of a generation, I don't think you are, um, that really considers retirement the way our parents considered retirement. You know, wh- wh- how do you see Todd Durkin when he's 70, 75, you know, 80, scraggling around with a couple of aches and pains from the football career and stuff? What, what, what do you think you're going to be doing there? Just getting started. <laughs> Man, you know, I, it, what's interesting is I've got several clients in their seventies, and I love those those men and women um, because sometimes it's really hard to think about. Man, what will I be doing when I'm seventy five years old? But I honestly think I'll be doing much of what I'm doing now, but also I'll be doing it in different ways, right? I think sometimes what you do may not change, but how you do it might be changing, right? Like I still might actually be coaching some people, maybe, you know, a select few, um, but I'll probably hopefully still be writing and speaking and consulting and coaching on that. Now, I don't know exactly where or how I'll be doing that, but my hope is that I'll still be doing what I do because I love what I do. And, and, um, you know, when I'm 75 years old, I want to be traveling a lot. I love travel. I love going to different cultures and immersing myself in different cultures and different countries and meeting different people. Um, I think life is just, it's so much an adventure and it's important that we continue to live that. Um, 
it's it's easy to get caught up in our own world and you get outside your own world you realize man your world is so small so small when you get out and you start traveling and you're like man they have no idea no people i go to australia last week i people have no idea what fitness quest 10 is right they they don't know that you know i have a i have someone struggling with a certain specific issue but when when someone's struggling with something it's their issue it's their challenge um it's the biggest most important thing in, in their world so to me i hope that i'm traveling a lot having adventure uh with my wife i hope that i'm walking down the beach holding my wife's hand um and just like soaking it in and hopefully playing with lots of grandkids <laughs> and, and that they all have like a boatload of kids that I can kind of then be granddad. That's cool. Last question. Although I could probably sit here for a couple hours with you, but um, I know this is something you do contemplate from time to time, but um, when you're gone from this uh, planet, uh, what do you hope people say about you? Mm. Um a deep question and I, I actually think about this a lot uh because in my walk of life i've been very blessed to work with lots of different people between my gym here at fitness quest 10 and the people that we impact in our community in the city of san diego in all my speaking you know i'm speaking a lot around the world right now and i love that role i love it um in my writing i love stories uh, from people that read my book that have no idea who they are and it, it saved them in some way. Um, I just hope that people say that um, this is a man who inspired me to be great. This is a man who inspired me to live my best life. And uh, on my tombstone statement, that's what I wanted to say, inspired millions of people to greatness, coach, leader, father, husband, life transformer, a man of impact. That's what I want people to say. Well, Todd, thanks for your hour of time out of your life. I know it's precious uh, in your life, and I appreciate you taking the time with me. Uh, it's been an honor to get to know you over the last few years. You have left a mark on me, and uh, I appreciate every time I, I get to spend some time with you. So thank you for making the time, and it was great to listen to you, sir. Scott, thank you, man. Thanks for everything that you're doing. You have a good day. You too. All right, buddy.